Hey guys, and welcome to the Low Key Podcast, Coeur Lane edition. Now, if you listen to our podcast, go subscribe to us. But if you're already a subscriber, go rate and review and comment and give us feedback. It, help us, it helps us out. Now, sorry we've been low-key lately, but here's your episode with craft and lore. It's nice, it's easy, it's low-key. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome to the Low Key Podcast. I'm here at Craft and Lore with Chad and Mike. What's up, guys? What's going on, Matt? Thanks for having us on. Microphone's good. Testing, check. <laughs> How's it going, Matt? Good, 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 good. So kind of describe what you guys do um, and, uh, yeah, just what you guys do. Well, we hand make leather goods. Uh, we started really focused on kind of minimal wallets um, with unique designs that um, other leather makers weren't really doing, tried to make stuff our own. And I think that's kind of what set us on our path. And uh, other than that, focusing on kind of quality, durability. Uh, American heritage is something we push. So we most of our leather is out of American tanneries that are you know over 100 years old. Um, and that's probably it in a nutshell. Design-wise, we push for ultra-minimalism, so it's a really unique approach, like Chad was describing, to what we do versus other brands. So, Okay, cool. So you guys are just basically making a lot of things out of leather, really cool stuff um, that I've, I've seen around. Some of my roommates uh, have your stuff and take pictures of it on Instagram, which is really cool to Instagram, some of your stuff. Um, what, what got you into this? Um, what first started you, started the kick, um, the passion and motivation for this? My background was in graphic design, so that's what I went to school for, and I've just spent, you know, about 12-something years on a computer, um, which was fun in its own way as far as a designer goes, but there was something missing without having like a tangible product at the end of the day, like you can hold this and feel it and then hand it to somebody. So I ended up uh, looking for just something to work, one way to work with my hands, and I looked at woodwork, and then I kind of accidentally ran into leather work, and immediately I knew like I wanted to just soak all of this in, and so I started doing my homework started meeting people and uh, learning everything I could, absorbing it, and then just uh, buying leather and tools, and um, it just kind of slowly took off from there. How about you, Mike? I, uh, I feel a lot of the same way Chad does about, the, about how he approached it. I was working a dead-end job, mostly, and traveling to and from New York um, as a consultant, and wanted to do something with my hands. So staring at computer monitors, hours on end, um, just really put me in a, in a corner and I just really wanted to reach out and, and do something that was different and fun. And uh, I wanted to learn, initially learn a, uh, an instrument, but 
I can't hold a beat to save my life. So <laughs> that didn't work out very well. So um, leatherworking was something I was always interested in. And I started as a hobbyist. And then between one of my trips to and from New York, I, uh, I got in touch with Chad and he had something going already and, and reached out to him to, to build a bag. And we sat down with a couple of beers and had, had some fun and built that bag and the rest is history now. So, So what, what makes leather making different than any other business or what, what makes your guys' product kind of unique? Um, it's probably going to boil down to uh, the materials we use and the designs that we come up with and then kind of the methods that we employ during our uh, actual production. Um, every There's a lot of little small handmade leather brands popping up left and right right now. <clears throat> but uh, this, when I first started messing with leather in 2012, it was, there was probably a couple of guys doing it, a couple of brands that had been going. And um, everyone kind of does stuff differently. A lot of these guys use uh, laser machines to kind of cut out all their templates after they design on a, on a computer, which is really convenient. But I didn't like that it was laser cut. So I had played with the idea and then just decided I'm going to stick with just what they've always done, which was uh, we use steel rule dies for a lot of our stuff. Um, and that was only after a couple of years of hand cutting everything based on templates and designs that all get you know tweaked and adjusted. But uh, once we've settled on a design, we get an expensive steel rule die made out and it just... Uh, we're just clicking out the leather, as they, as they say, um, punching the pieces out. And so we spend our time doing a lot of hand stitching, which eats up most of our time. Um, so Mike kind of overlooks that whole end of the, the business of really production. And I'm typically running around um, doing marketing, photography, and then actually working on like new designs and kind of uh, then Mike and I will get together and decide like what direction should we go with our next product. And so... Um, to answer the question, it probably boils down to just having designs that nobody else has thought up as far as a wallet might go. <clears throat> Some things are always going to be standard, like a belt or a bag. There's nothing um, too unique about, like, our leather tote. You know, everybody makes that, just like our leather belt. Um, but what we always try to push is kind of the wow factor. When somebody picks it up, they go, wow, this thing's, like, this belt is a tank. Mm -hmm. So our mountain belt has got us a lot of attention just for how heavy duty this thing is that when guys put their hands on it, they go, here's the last belt I'll ever have to get by, and there's no doubt about it. So um, we try to get that response in a, in a lot of what we do. So some of the unique uniqueness about our brand is the leathers that we choose, too. So choosing leathers from some of these older tanneries in the world, specifically in, in this country, too, um, like Chad was saying about the mountain belt, it's it, we chose... We handpick every leather for every purpose. So even if the design isn't necessarily unique, the leather choice can be so in most cases. So um, hand feel, look, you know, break in, all of those things matter to us. Um, some, some companies out there will use um, a wide range of, of leathers from around the world. I've seen guys that have used kangaroo or, you know, some of these other kind of more exotic leathers. So... But uh, in terms of design, too, we build things um, 
it's an art platform, so we build things the way that we want to build them. Um, we have our own design style, you know, in terms of hole spacing, in terms of um, the thread that we use, um, you know, and just our design types. We're, we're really minimalistic, so there isn't a lot of bells and whistles, but everything is functional and durable, and those are the probably the two key things we look for. So That's cool. Now, I know nothing about leather. Um, absolutely nothing. Just that it's it's something you wear. <laughs> so how many types of leather are there, like, in the world? And um, like you said, you, you guys talked about um, some of the leathers you used. Kind of describe those, too, as well, a little bit more. Man, there's a dozen different types of leather, and it all has to do with how the tanning process goes. Um, there's vegetable tan leather, which refers to the use of tree bark. Um, tannins inside of tree bark, which is where the word tanning comes from, gets you kind of your best leather is vegetable tanned. It's very long, labor-intensive. Um, it's environmentally sound. And uh, otherwise, there's like chemical um, <clears throat> ways to tan through like chromium, which is pretty toxic. Uh, the EPA regulates it. There's maybe two, maybe three tanneries in the U.S. that that will do chromium. Otherwise, you can find chromium in like you know other countries. Um, but we typically stick to vegetable tanned. It's better, even if it takes longer to do it, just because that's part of our you know our motto here is that something the things that take the longest are typically worth waiting for. They're they're built better, which is why we hand sew everything. You're getting a better stitch. Um, otherwise, I mean, there's yeah all the different thicknesses of leather which, you know, you can take any leather and, and uh, split it down into certain weights, what they call it, um, how thin the leather actually is. But for every product that we do, it's a, it's a game of going through all of the leathers that we know and our own knowledge of it in order to pick out what the, the best leather for this application is, whether it's a bag or a wallet. So most prototypes have been built out of multiple types of leather and different weights. And it's, it seems like it's always a quest to kind of find the new and useful leather for whatever new product we're working on. Yeah, we're constantly looking at new tanneries and new leathers that, that current tanneries come out with or talking with tanneries about doing unique colors or dye batches and things like that too as we gain momentum and as we gain a rapport with these tanneries. Um, we start to, to have those conversations more and more. We've got thousands of swatches though um, from different tanneries and, and uh, we really do go through every single one of them, pull them out of the book, we fold them in half. We, we, like I said, we, we look forward to that hand feel, what it looks like, is it scratch easy, is it water resistant? Mm -hmm. There's so many little factors that goes into each one and depending on how it is tanned with what chemicals, if any, um, it changes the characteristic of the leather drastically, even if it's in the same kind of genre or, or, or tannage. So if you, if, you put, if you put two of them that are identically um, in the same style, uh, they may behave completely differently, even from color to color. We've experienced that too. So um, it's it's a process. <laughs> it's one of our favorites in some ways, and it's one of the most tumultuous in others. Um, sometimes we'll build a product and we think we have the best choices, and, and then we go to test it and we realize that, hey, we, we really need to move in a different direction here or, or we find something better, um, and we make those changes over time. So we're always constantly looking for the best possible um, product, so to use in all of our products. 
That's crazy. There's a lot of new words that I was just hearing, <laughs> which was kind of cool. Um, what is your guys' like favorite product that you guys made, or what is a customer favorite of your guys's? Well, our best seller is one of our oldest, and uh, it's called the Port Wallet, and it's a real minimal little card wallet, and it's a single piece of leather that kind of wraps around on itself and makes a real compact kind of a front pocket wallet. And uh, for people who have to sit on a wallet all day, like you are, you're messing with your spine and uh, looking at chronic back pain in your in your future. And I'm someone that has that, so I I try to push anyone I can into a carry in your front pocket. Um, carry minimal. If you don't use a card more than once a month, then uh, it probably shouldn't be in your wallet. So um, the port wallet would be our biggest, and then probably our next is our mountain belt, which is that heavy-duty belt we were talking about earlier. It just gets a lot of attention and, and um, does really well. We've ran both of them on Kickstarter and done, done well by them. Um, Mike, what would you say your favorite products are? Oh, man, my favorite product in terms of carry, something that I use every day um, that we make, would be the port wallet. It's my favorite wallet. Um, I carry every one of the wallets and kind of break them in each individually, but I always, every time I go back to the port wallet, it definitely becomes my, my favorite. The Insider is a close second for sure. But um, one product that I absolutely cannot live without is the belt every day. As a big guy... Uh, running through belts like crazy, it's it's my favorite product. Now, to favorite product to build and make, um, that's a hard choice. <laughs> um, I would say probably the Insider in terms of uh, build order, in terms of the amount of stitching and, and just the wallet design itself. It's the funnest for me to build right now, so I really enjoy that product. But... That's cool. You guys said uh, that you hand stitch all your leather and all your products. Um, how long does that usually take? Depending on the product, um, it could it could range from a long time, like on a leather bag, to um, <clears throat> between five and ten minutes for a minimal wallet. And because we do hand stitch, um, that kind of influences how we go about our design process. It helps keep everything simple. The less stitching time we have to invest, um, well, the better for us, but also it means less breaking parts. Um, typically, any kind of machine-sewn wallet, um, no matter how good the leather is or how expensive or quality it might be, um, if even if a wallet lasts you 20, 30 years, it's going to be the stitching that's going to go first on a machine-sewn product. And once all the pieces come unraveled and fall apart, like you have really nice pieces of leather that could have gone on for another 20, 30 years, but aren't even stitched together anymore. Um, and so with hand stitching is you really, it's kind of a redundant, um, twice stitched. Uh, we use a waxed poly cord that uh, you can cut the thread on the wallet multiple places. Dogs have chewed wallets from our customers and they continue to carry them for over a year just because the stitching does not unravel. So it's really an heirloom piece, a heritage piece that we call it, and uh, we really kind of push that, like you're buying something built to last. Yeah, it's it's it can be a tumultuous process and a time-consuming one, so I spend a great deal of what I do at Craft & Lore just simply sewing things. Um, but there's kind of an art to it, too. It's, it's, it's more than just putting two needles through thread. You know, there's certain... 
lining the thread up and lining the pieces up, multiple pieces together while sewing um, can be difficult. And then also the way you start and end a stitch, and there's certain people that do it differently. There's certain people that use different styles of stitching. Um, but it, it's a process, but like Chad said, to reiterate what he said, it, it's worth it in the end. You get a product that we've built from top to bottom, you know, even with that painstaking process of, of sewing, um, you get a product that lasts a lifetime out of the deal. So it's worth it to us. Yeah, that sounds really cool. The durable part is actually really cool too. Um, for you guys, like beginning this, was there any struggles you had in the beginning or is there something that you guys still continually struggle with um, in being in the leather industry? Um, I would say my biggest struggle when I first started was really finding leather. When you're just starting out, like leather's expensive, and so um, I had to make kind of these clutch decisions at some point to just invest in a leather that uh, I wasn't even fully sure would work. So you end up spending money on leather Sometimes that just is a, it's a bust, and you end up sitting on that leather for a while until you find a way to use it some other way and kind of recoup your money. <clears throat> but in the beginning, um, I was hand-dyeing everything, and I was hand-cutting and marking everything. So in the very beginning, I, it would take me about an eight-hour day to kind of hand-cut and hand-dye seven port wallets. So that was kind of like a full day's work. Um, we've come a long way since then. Now we can, you know... Um, well, getting away from hand-dyed was a big deal because it was really hard to find a wallet that had the uh, the right colors, the ones that are most popular that everybody kind of looks for in a leather wallet. Um, finding the, the feel or the, the hands, they call it, like how firm it is. Was it a firm hand or the semi-firm? And trying to figure out that right combination of color and feel. Um, so it was expensive to get there. So it, you're investing in, in stuff that may or may not pay out. Um, but that was probably my biggest struggle. Otherwise, as it stands now, it's kind of, uh, since Mike's kind of the head maker and, and primary craftsman at the moment, I'm kind of just doing a lot of steering the ship, and I had to stop being as much of a craftsman and kind of becoming a, a business manager and, like, overlooking stuff. So I do all the lame stuff, like write the IRS on how much I hate them <laughs> and uh, stuff like that. So uh, how about you, Mike? Oh man! In the beginning, the 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 largest trouble area I faced was just learning the craft. Um, it's very very unforgiving when you cut a piece of leather with you're cutting a piece of leather with a knife, and you accidentally cut the wrong piece. It's done. You're, 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 the project is finished. So, learning the craft for me and with the attention to detail was something that I had never had to really. Um, do before. I, I didn't come from a background of building things of wood or any other um, form of media. So, And Chad had a head start with the business and all these designs and things like that. So coming on board, it was, it was the largest obstacle was building things um, to the uh, satisfaction of this man, the artist. So, um, but it, it, made me, it made me a craftsman. In the beginning, I was worried um, a little bit about, you know, being able to do that truly and that's why you know we spent I spent three months pretty much building stuff um, and checking almost every product with Chad and making changes and and things like that over time and now doing thousands of them um, I'm very very happy with how far I've come and in that regard 
now the largest problem area we, that I think that I have is uh, um, just time management at this point. So trying to trying to find the happy medium between production and and design and and uh, all the other things that we do here. We both wear a few hats. So um, in terms of that, it's 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 always a weekly, if not biweekly, meetings to figure out how we're going to spend every minute of our day. So. Um, that's becoming quite a process, I believe. So, that's really cool. What uh, what made you guys choose this city over any other city? As far as the business goes, um, man, I well, I was born in the California redwoods, and I kind of grew up Central Coast California. So I've been in Coeur d'Alene for about a little over 15 years now, and it was kind of like I wanted to get out in the mountains, get out in the northwest, um, get to a smaller town, and get to kind of just, I don't know, a different way of life, I suppose. Um, so I, I don't know that how much of an influence that has on the brand. I'm sure it does. Uh, we I love the northwest. I After moving out of here for about a year and working in the North Dakota oil fields, it really kind of reminded me like I need to, um, I need to do anything and everything to stay here, whether it's hard to, to work or not. And that's kind of how Craft and Lore was born. It was actually while I was out in the North Dakota oil fields, I did a lot of work for uh, leather work for like truckers and stuff like that, making heavy duty belts because you know they were all blowing through their belts and it was just hard work and rugged work out there. So you, people needed stuff that could survive. Um, so actually, Craft and Lore has a little bit of its roots out out there just for seeing the need for heavy-duty stuff. You, you can't just go to any store and buy this level of quality. So um, other than that, Coeur d'Alene is uh, kind of that idyllic little town. still has a bit of the old Americana left in it, and uh, people a lot of people are still looking for that as it gets harder and harder to find in this country. Um, I was born in the area, so north of here. So I had a, I guess, a little predisposition here. <laughs> um, as I grew up, I, I absolutely love this town. I love this area. I love the the woods and the mountains. So, being a, hunt, a hunter and fisherman, and and just loving outdoors and camping and things like that, it just lended itself to my lifestyle. And it wasn't until I started traveling and started seeing the rest of the country and in other countries that I realized that I just I had it so good here in terms of uh, everything that I was looking for. So when I moved over to New York, especially, and realized um, just how much this area meant to me, um, every time I would fly back and I would land or I would, I'd be in the air, you know, and I'd start getting over towards the Rockies and you start seeing the mountains and stuff, and it goes from farmland to mountains. The second I'd start seeing those mountains, I just would feel relieved, and this is really just where I want to be, so... Um, in terms of the brand itself, um, I think the area, it lends a lot of motivation for Chad and I, you know, when we go out and we go for a hike or we go out and we just mess around or go shoot guns or whatever it might be, we're always just filled with inspiration, I think, with just being in this area. Um, I don't know. It's just a great place to be, man. It's all a piece of paradise. It has all the seasons as well which is something that I enjoy. I, I don't think, I couldn't live in an area where it would be 65, 70 degrees all year round, even 
even during the winter it sounds pleasant, but I don't know. I just like the uh, being able to experience all the seasons as well. So I would too. Um, <laughs> I feel like I experience the seasons in one day or like two days in Oklahoma. It constantly changes. <laughs> so what advice would you give for someone if they want to start a small business or a business in leather? Uh, my advice would be that you better be passionate about it. You better be happy doing it, even if you weren't getting paid for it. It would be almost your hobby, and that's what it was for me. This Craft and Lore is kind of an accidental business. It was just something I was passionate about, and my first couple of years, it was just me as a hobbyist making stuff and always thinking about it at my day job, like, what do I want to make tonight when I get off work? <clears throat> um, so whatever... Whatever you do, like you better love it, and like eat it, sleep it, drink it, because um, that's gonna make it that much more successful. If it doesn't, if it's not a job for you that you have to go do, you're probably not gonna really just chase after it and work those long, hard hours because it's uh, it's exhausting. But it's when it's a labor of love, it's gonna you'll you'll just you'll always find a way to make something happen if you want to grow. Um, other than that, be good to people. Um, a lot of it is who you know in this world, and sometimes knowing the right person and that they like you, it opens up doors for you that you might not have had otherwise. And so be good to people, network, meet other business owners, and uh, that would be probably the first kickstart I would tell somebody starting a business. Yeah, I think it also takes um, some drive to always be educating yourself, always looking at what's going on around you in your industry, um, or otherwise, you know, we surround ourselves, like Chad said, you know, with some of these great minds and these great people, and we read a lot and we watch a lot um, of content, you know, in regards to building a business. Um, networking is probably the single most um, valuable tool that I ever learned, period. Meeting people, shaking hands, being amicable, learning from them, um, walking to a conversation and Thinking in your mind, what does this person know? Um, you know, what can they teach me? You know, a lot of people walk into a conversation and maybe don't have as open of a mind. So every new person you meet may have something to offer you, and I think that's important to know um, walking into that. So, um, and you have to want it. You know, there's there's hundred hour work weeks here. There's 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 uh, family times missed. There's birthdays missed. There's uh, um, all that stuff that goes along with trying to trying to build your own way so um, just to add up to your question about if anyone wanted to get into leather um, my advice would be make your designs completely original search around make sure no one else is doing them um, as this market starts to get flooded as more and more people come into this business it's a lot of guys who are most guys typically all make kind of these standard items like the bifold and the belt and these other things that aren't any different than what everyone else is making. Um, be original in your work. Um, search around, comb through the industry, make sure no one else is already doing that design. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of ego in this industry and uh, there's really not room for ego if you want to be successful. Otherwise, um, people are going to pick up on it and uh, Ego is kind of like a brand killer. Like you got to be um, grateful for everything that you have given to you. But but be original. Come up with your own designs. 
Um, you might have to find that you're going to have to protect that design as these young uh, businesses start up. They think, oh, here's a, a design. I like it, and I can make it, so I'm just going to do it. You can't really trademark or copyright kind of leather designs, and so because of that, you get into a lot of like infighting where some new brand will show up making all of your original designs, and you can't really do anything except for say, hey, man, you know, respect the art, respect the original thinkers. Um, this isn't just a standard bifold, but I, we did a lot of work, a lot of marketing, and tried to brought the product to the market and made it popular. So for you to roll in and all of a sudden start making it and competing with us, you know, while knocking the price way down, is uh, it's it's not respectful of um, original art essentially. So well, that would be destroy the market too, right? Sure. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, you. Not doing anyone any favors. You're, you're not doing yeah. yourself any favors. You're not doing the brands any favors. You're either. preventing guys from wanting to come up with new and original designs that uh, that stand out because if they know that they have to now compete with their own work, um, and you'll see it. I've seen leather companies actually just get out of it altogether because of uh, people who just jumped in, could market better than they did, and took their idea and ran with it and then made the success. So I've seen um, well-known brands just shut their doors and, and leave. But... Uh, Anyway, so be original in your work um, and respect other guys who are original and encourage them and help even protect them when you see other knockoff artists mm -hmm. roll along. Um, take, care of, take care of original artists would be my, a big thing I'd push to anyone going into leather. Wow, that's intense. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I'm going to try not to botch this, okay. but I've, I've botched the city name for so long. Um, what is your favorite thing about Cordell Lane? Man, you, uh, <laughs> you said Cordelaine right, which it's a French word for uh, heart of the all, which had to do with um, the trade, the trading that they did with the natives here was, uh, they were really shrewd um, traders. They didn't, they didn't fall for the old uh, fire, water, and beads trick. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Um, oh, sorry. Uh, no offense. But uh, anyways, Coeur d'Alene is a beautiful little city. Um, I, I really like the people. The people are really good here. Um, it still kind of has that small town, the whole um, the prairie right next to the foothills of the Rockies and all the lakes everywhere. I mean, there's just like endless national forests, you know, 20 minutes away from here. Um, and then there's just so many things to do from um, dirt biking to skiing, snowboarding. To, I mean, there's just so many outdoor adventures that can be done out here. Um, anyways, Mike, what's your favorite thing? Man, I really appreciate the history here. Um, it's just really rich. I love the outdoors. And so, like I said, growing up here, taking it for complete granted, I thought that every city... Every, every, every kid growing up had their own lake and their own city and their own streams and their own mountains to climb. Um, you know, however naive that sounds or ignorant that sounds, that's just the way it was growing up. So um, being able to ride from my house on my motorcycle and go take a trip around the lake, you know, and just get off the bike and jump in, in a nice, clean, you know, just beautiful lake and take a swim and hop back on and maybe go out in the mountains and go for a little mountain tour. You know, doing all of that within minutes of home is just amazing. Like Chad said, you know, and being able to snowboard as a kid uh, at one of the best mountains in the world. I'm right here in our backyard. Like, I don't know. I just, 
it's the most fascinating place to live sometimes. <laughs> Mike, try not to sell it too hard or more people are going to move here. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. It's a terrible place. We get two feet of snow in one day and yeah. yeah don't come. <laughs> Just don't come. <laughs> I may have to move here now and bring like 20 other people. Yeah, my friends. <laughs> so how, how can people um, see what you guys are doing, um, where you're located at, and um, your social media stuff? Um, Craftandlore.com is our website, and that's our online store. We really are an online business, but we do have like a showroom here and a workshop in Coeur d'Alene, North Idaho. Um, otherwise, we're most active on Instagram, and that's craft, the letter N, and then lore, L-O-R-E. Um, so actually, we're really active on there and get a lot of our interaction, have a lot of regulars who uh, are always chatting with us. So Instagram is the best way to really see kind of what we're working on behind the scenes and, and uh, kind of kind of keep up to speed with what we're doing. Otherwise, what's that? Um, yeah, our store location. Our shop, our workshop here is on uh, 3909 North Schreiber Way, which is uh, kind of in the heart of Coeur d'Alene, but you can find all that on our map and our contact page at our website. Well, cool. Well, thanks for letting me in your shop. And um, I hope I hope people buy a wallet or a belt and uh, get some of your leather. You guys have a good day. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate it. Peace. Hey, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Low Key Podcast. If you're ever in Coeur d'Alene, go check out Craft and Laurel. They're pretty cool. Also, go like and follow their Instagram and Facebook. Now, again... Go subscribe to us. Go check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Like and follow us too. Also rate and review and give us feedback. It helps us out. So that's in low-key land, guys. Keep it nice. Keep it easy. Keep it low-key.